Oh, hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 15. We're just going to get Megan on here and we'll get started. What's up, little mementos? How you doing? There she is. Okay. Get. Sub not for sale. Hey Jay. I'm not too bad, man. Just enjoying the week. Hi. Hey Merlin. How's it going? Good, how are you? I'm not too bad, thanks. It's great to see you. You too. That was surprisingly easy. I was just like, I don't know if I'm gonna know how to do this. That that's what I've been really loving about Instagram Live, honestly, is like I never thought I would get into um, like podcasting or things like that. Cause it's just like all of the moving parts just seemed like way too much. And then yeah. the live thing sort of happened and it's so easy. Cause like you just open it and then someone joins you and then yeah. you talk and uh, you know, then people interact with you. It's <laughs> kind of wild. <laughs> How have you been settling into San Francisco? Pretty good. Yeah. It's been we got, had basically the, I don't know how long have we been here. Also, I apologize for the dogs in the background. They will calm down. I'm at my partner's parents' house, and they like to greet every person that's outside. But yeah, San Francisco has been good. We've been here since beginning of August, I guess, and it's been pretty much the nicest weather that I've ever seen in San Francisco since we moved. It's like just started getting cold. So it's been really nice. We've been like swimming all the time and surfing and taking lots of photos and stuff so it's been good it was kind of it's weird to move to a new city in the pandemic obviously yeah. uh, just because there's less people around um but it i don't know what's nice about it is everyone is taking it super super seriously in san francisco so like you do not see people without masks and stuff so that makes it a little easier to um, Matthew says Megan is my favorite. She's the best. Lots of. He's best too. <laughs> um, yes, I met Matt through Instagram. I don't even know how many years ago. Probably like six, maybe five or six years ago. Like through the Nikonos project. Um, okay. And at that point, I was like super good at waking up really early in the morning and I was living in San Diego. He lives in Orange County and I used to drive up at like four thirty in the morning and go and shoot um the wedge. It's wave in, in Newport Beach with him. I don't don't know how I, I don't think I could do that anymore. My brain is like, no, you need sleep. Stay stay in the warm. Yeah, it the, the early mornings get harder after yeah. a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's cool that you've been settling well into San Francisco. It's a, it's a beautiful city. Um, it was the last place I got to see before the world ended. Oh, there you yeah. go. <laughs> I, I was there for a Polaroid uh, convention, like the weekend it was shutting down. It was okay. really surreal and weird. Um, and JP said that he got to take uh, portraits yeah. of uh, you and your partner. That was really yeah. cool. Yeah, that was, it was super cool. It's like such a funny thing, like meeting up with anyone right now. But yeah, he was so nice. And we got to like chat about um, <laughs> all of his little adventures around the city. And um, 
yeah he's a he is a super interesting guy and it was so funny he like showed up with right there the, the uh with the pentax six seven or he i think had a 67 he had a much newer one than, than the one that i have but we were talking about that like lugging he has like the big wood wooden handle which you really need if you're going to be shooting that thing handheld yeah you definitely need it those things are beefy as heck <laughs> yeah i don't i don't take mine around as much anymore i used to like i brought mine on a backpacking trip um in the sierras a few years ago which was interesting <laughs> that's a big camera to take backpacking <laughs> some really beautiful photos but i don't know if i would ever do that again <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm kind of like so i'm i'm doing a cross-country drive on tuesday my best friend um is moving to vancouver and um, she has a 150 pound dog that is very difficult to ship. So yep. like I have to drive and um, it's winter time in the rest of Canada right now. Toronto is still unseasonably warm, which is weird. Okay. Um, so I'm going to drive with her because she's afraid of going by herself, but I'm debating it's like what cameras are we going to bring? Cause I have yeah. to, be able to fly home and I don't want to like bring a bunch of crap with me. So <laughs> It's like, you know, what am I going to shoot on my pandemic road trip? And it's just, it's also the weirdest time to pick to go on a road trip right now because like every province is just going into a lockdown right now. So okay. like BC just locked down on Monday. Um, Manitoba is locked down. They're talking about, you know, Alberta locking down. We're in a pending like lockdown in Ontario. It's a very... Yeah weird time to be like let's go for a road trip and i'm gonna fly I home mean, if you're gonna travel i think that's probably the best way to <laughs> to do it right now right i mean i guess fly i mean from what i've heard that people saying like flying actually feels pretty safe too but i haven't i haven't yeah. so I, i've talked to a few people that have flown and they said they like one guy specifically he's like i felt safer in the airports and on the plane than i did walking on queen street in toronto okay which i was like okay yeah that's fair it's kind of a little crazy down there yeah um yeah yeah i'm gonna bring a bunch of polaroid i've decided though so i'm gonna shoot like pandemic polaroids across the country and jeff i wish i could stop in kimberly and have a beer maybe we'll see um <gasps> he he's one my old english teacher from high school Oh, how cool. Yeah. yeah, what do you guys do you have the route that you guys are taking all mapped out and stuff? So mostly, yeah. And actually Johnny asked that, curious if the lockdowns and some so we are allowed to stop for food and washrooms and stuff, but you're not really allowed to like yeah. stay so like Manitoba has like a if you stay there you have to quarantine for fourteen days, so we can't stay for like you know, overnight there. So Yeah. We're going to take our time through Ontario because Ontario is like a massive province. So I think we're yeah. going to stop in like Thunder Bay and Sault Ste. Marie and then Kenora, which is like the last city right before it goes into Manitoba. And mm -hmm. then we're going to try and beeline it through Manitoba to Regina in a day, which should be okay. I think it's like nine hours of driving. Mm. Um, and then we're going to stop in Alberta for a bit. She grew up there and wants to spend some time with her fam. So nice. Um, and I haven't been home to BC because I'm originally from BC. Yeah. I, I haven't been home in like almost a year. So I'm like, cool, I'll be able to visit people. But then I'm like, oh, yeah, pandemic. Can't <laughs> we visit people? <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, is it going to be warm enough to do like outside visits with people? Vancouver will still be warm. Um, so like it should be okay there, but like, you know, it's looking at all the snow, it's kind of like, um, it's, it's kind of wild. Um, I wish we were taking two vehicles cause walkie talkies would be rad Johnny. Um, but we're, um, just going to be in her tiny Subaru Forester with nice. a big massive dog. And I did get like a roof topper for her. So it'll be, it, it'll be interesting. Like, you know, cause we're going to take our time. So it'll be like probably a week to to go across um that's pretty yeah. fast though that's a lot of <laughs> that that's actually going to be My... the longest amount that it's taken me to do it because um the last I've, I've gone west to east twice this will be my first time going east to west okay um and the one time when i moved to toronto it was three and a half days from uh bc to to toronto okay then the other time i took like I think it was like four or five days. All right. Uh, I just wish it was like warmer and not a pandemic because it'd be more interesting, but you know. But it'll probably be interesting to move through like towns and stuff and see what it <laughs> what it looks like. I'm really curious to see what it looks like because like talking with some of my friends out West, they're like, it's almost like there's no pandemic. They're like, oh yeah, restaurants are open. And like, you know, <laughs> what are masks? And it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> no wonder your numbers are going up, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but I, like here, everyone's like things are well. I mean, here, see, San Francisco is has maintained pretty good numbers, so things are. We never opened all the way up, but we have stayed at the same level for so long. And then I look at like the rest of <laughs> the world, and it's like, oh my god, like <laughs> you're still going to the gym, and your numbers are the higher than they were in March. <laughs> like, what's happening? Yeah, it's so crazy. Um. I, there's a part of me though that regrets when Toronto is like super shut down, yeah. not going on the subway because I saw some people taking like these really like creepy empty subway shots and I was like, damn, like I missed out on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. There were some of them from, from, I didn't see any from, we have Bart here. I don't yeah. know if you were here. I didn't see any of those because people, I don't know, people are still on it, but I remember seeing some in New York, like, right in the springtime of, like, the subways, yeah, like, fully empty, even the, even the tube in England, too, which, yeah. pretty, you can get some pretty interesting things, I mean, even, like, I don't know, there's some cool pictures, I think, of, of just, like, aerial stuff of, of LA, and, like, when everything really shut down, and, like, your normal photos of the LA like cityscape with all of the highways and stuff with all like obviously like just basically miles of red lights bricks and no one moving and then and then these empty freeways in the spring which it's probably going to be the only time that it's like that ever my my favorite stories were um the coyotes coming back into San Francisco during lockdown like wildlife was like nature's like oh we could come back like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was kind of wild yeah, they, uh, Jack's parents saw a coyote, like, in the middle of San Francisco. They came over to swim with us maybe a couple of weeks ago, and it, they were heading back in the, right in the middle of, like, a main <laughs> intersection in San Francisco. Uh, in L.A., my, my mom lives in, like, the foothills in northeast L.A., and they're, I mean, pretty kind of close to, to some wildlife anyways, because she's, like, right up against the mountains. Um 
but they she sees like bobcats now on a, on a kind of weekly basis she was down on a walk in the neighborhood and basically turned a corner and there was a, a mama bear in two cups what and like yeah so i mean just it's, that's that's the cool part about it is you're getting to see kind of what what nature looks like without all of us ruining things all the time <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, I, I know you're very passionate about like the environment and stuff. And I, I was also curious too. So like, um, it was cool to meet you last year at the film today and see your presence. Was that only last year, Merlin? Yeah, it was 2019, wasn't it? Yeah. It was like five years ago. I know. <laughs> well, I was just talking about this with a friend where we were like, when was Biden vice president? Was, was it like, eight years ago, 10 years, and there's like, oh, it's only four years. It's like time is just, then COVID's really like messed it all up. But um, yeah, your presentation was was fascinating. Your photos are beautiful. And I was curious, like, you know, what what got you into uh, shooting film? And then like, what made you decide to get into the the Mykono stuff? So my, my background a long time ago, like, I guess I started school and like, in uh, college in 2011. So I w- was down, I moved from LA down to, to San Diego and um, was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And, and UC San Diego has a really amazing marine biology program. And I had always kind of been a, a just someone who liked water in the ocean and stuff like that. So I was like, ah, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll, I'll start taking these classes. <laughs> um, and I ended up really liking them. Um, and then while I was in school, I did kind of some lab work um and kind of got to see what it was like to be um a marine biologist which for most people you're doing lab work 90 percent of the time and then maybe you get to go out in the field so i kind of realized i was like i really like what i'm learning about i love the ocean a lot of classes we would get to go and and do tide pooling and stuff like that which was great um and the other kind of part of it is the I guess I kind of just got me getting in the water more so and and just getting interested in kind of what was in that area La Jolla which is where UC San Diego is it's like this hub of of wildlife um and you have like people like coming from all over to kind of see um what what is there and it's really well protected so I basically started going in there and I think my first like camera that I had um was my phone and I used to get these dive housings (laughs) um dive housings they I drowned like probably six iPhones because I would be like oh let's see how deep I can take this and um but I mean it was just kind of cool to see I was like all right this is this whole new world which I've kind of seen swimming around and, and getting to capture it so around that time I had like kind of some digital cameras I had done this crazy road trip from basically San Diego all the way up to Vancouver um and take taken some like kind of just gotten into this taking some photos learned how to use a camera um so kind of that and then starting the water thing i was like okay i want to combine these things like not just use my phone um i got a digital housing um which if you've ever seen an underwater digital housing they're ridiculous it's like like swimming with a shoebox that's 18 pounds um and you have to have like you have to have full controls you have like different knobs on all different parts of the housing and so i it kind of took it took 
my like out of it like I really enjoyed swimming with my phone because it was something small and I could could um like still pay attention to what was around me and then once I had that housing um it kind of took me out of the moment and it wasn't as fun for me anymore so I was like okay I need to find a different a different way to go about it and then so Brandon Jennings, who started the Nikonos project at, I think he kind of like had popped up just on my radar because he's from Southern California. He lives in Utah now, but he was in uh, San Clemente. And so I kind of, I don't even know, I found the Nikonos project Um, was like, oh, this is just a cool project in general because he basically sold all his digital um equipment and was just loaning out these cameras mostly to like started out with like really kind of young kids like who their program their film programs in their schools had been shut down and they were interested in in learning analog photography and um and he would basically you got you got on the list um and he would when he had a camera available just send it to you for free like he was just covering this because he thought it was a cool idea um, and so I had like, he didn't have any cameras at that point he had, they were all over. Um, so I was like, okay, I'll get on the way. I think I did end up going on the wait list, but I am impatient in nature. So I basically went on, I think eBay or something and, and found, um, an Iconos camera. And the first one that I had was a uh, no, it wasn't a four because fours are bad. That's a good thing to know by Nikonis cameras. They switched it to like the one with the meter and all of the electronics and they didn't do a very good job. So I got a five B um, and I think I had that one and it was like, it was perfect because it's that those ones that they have, you can put them on automatic, um, but it has a meter, you can do full manual control and it's about the size of a brick. Like it's, it's just nice. Like I had it on a shoelace, you can swim like in waves, you can go and go, I don't know, free dive or snorkel with it. And it feels like it's not there when you don't need it. Um, so it, like automatically I was like, okay, this is like getting back to like kind of what I had was having more fun in the water. Um, I then, you know, drowned probably four of those because they do have all the electronics um and they're old i mean they're the the fives they i think they started making those in the 90s um and they continued until the early 2000s but you have a camera basically that has like two o-rings that you can get to and make sure that they're maintained and um but they have all these internal ones and you have to send them out and get them serviced and I would never do that. Um, so I drowned a bunch of those. Uh, and then I Good kind of point. started to make, moving backwards. One um, second here, someone's asking, which film oh. do you use with the Nikonos? Yeah. Um, so I use, I think I had someone ask me that because I posted a picture uh, with Ektachrome and the slide film. And they're like, why are you using slide film when they kind of, you know, the exposure is so much more complicated than, than color negative. So I shoot probably 90% of the time uh, Portra, if I'm like Portra 160, um, color negative film has obviously an amazing latitude. It's just a cool film to, especially to shoot anything with water, I think, because for me, it's like, I like really like the tones you can get, especially with interesting lighting. Um, I shot Ektar, I only shoot Ektar above water. Um, the reason for that is that because you get like such crazy kind of um, 
colors with ektar if you shoot it underwater i almost feel like it it looks like you had a really weird filter that you were using like the blues and the greens are so intense but not really true to life um so i shoot ektar above <laughs> above the surface of the water uh portra mostly kind of anywhere in there and then if i you know i'm feeling really rich uh then i will get some ectochrome um the other thing is like we were talking about like the camera with a meter versus no meter the one that i shoot right now doesn't have a meter and i kind of know conditions pretty well at this point but with for color negative i can get it in that ballpark for slide film it's it's super challenging just because the lighting conditions <laughs> change so much yeah. um so i've shot ectochrome a few times underwater probably like 10 times uh and have been like really happy with maybe like two three photos out of a roll which hey they've been i've been super happy with those ones but it's like for how much that film costs it's like you can't really I'm like i'm not i'm not gonna shoot that all the time no exactly well how much it costs and then how much it costs to process it too yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> i, I do you, as you process all of your, your own film? No. no. So I, I did for a little bit process my own black and white. Cause I'm like, this is fun. And then yeah. it's cheap. But then I decided I fucking hate scanning like, <laughs> so much. <laughs> it's, it's the worst. <laughs> and the, the lab I use here in Toronto, they're great. They're downtown camera. Um, if you're in Toronto or like, you know, the Ontario area. Yeah. Um, they only charge, I think it's like two or three bucks extra to do scanning. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> my time's definitely worth three bucks. So, you know, I'll let someone else deal with this because yeah. scanning. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then like, I haven't tried color yet. I think I might just for shits and giggles one day try processing color. Um, but I know lots of people that do it and they love it and they love scanning. And I'm like, good for you. Do people really like scanning? There's some people that really get in because it's like an art, I guess. And it's right. some people get like really into it. And I'm like, I just like shooting the camera. And that's that's sort of like my my favorite part. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and you're saying you, you started going backwards with uh, the um, your, your Nikonos cameras there before yeah. one question. So, yeah. So the. Yeah, basically, I I shoot mostly at three now, which is no meter. It's fully mechanical. I have not flooded, knock on so much wood, the one that I have, and I've had it for a few years. Um, but, but what's nice is that if you do flood it in salt water, because the salt water is kind of like what just messes everything up because it just corrodes everything. So apparently, if you do flood it, you just dunk the whole thing in fresh water, let it soak, and then dry it out, and it should be fine because it is fully mechanical. I don't know. Well, hopefully I'll never have to do that. <laughs> um, but that, so the, the three, I think they started making it in the late seventies and they made it until maybe the early nineties, but it's just like a workhorse. Like it's tiny. It's like, I don't have any of my cameras here cause I'm not at my house, but okay. it's like this big. Um, and it like kind of does everything that you want it to something weird that people probably don't know about Nikonos cameras and you figure that out really fast is it's a scale focus camera, which is the weirdest thing ever. Um, so you basically like, you'll see anyone who's shooting them. You like spend most of the time like doing this because you basically have to set your aperture 
with a little knob and then you set your focus distance. Um, and it's a weird thing to get used to. Also, for some of the lenses, um, they, they, it's a dive camera, so they are kind of all set up to be shot all underwater, um, or that's the, originally the, the, what they were made for. And so they're, it's just kind of weird to like try and figure out distances. Um, once you get it, it's okay. I mean, I, well, saying that I miss like focus on things all the time, <laughs> especially <laughs> with surfing is, is challenging shooting anyone's like moving target. What I now kind of do, cause I've gotten lazy is basically, okay. I'm like, all right, 20 to 30 feet or like 15 to 20 feet in focus. I'm just going to sit here and just let them come to me. <laughs> uh, yeah. But <laughs> it's, a, it's the weirdest little camera ever, but I, I don't know. I've shot a bunch of other, things I had what was it like had like an SLR in a housing for a little bit and it was it, it's just too much like it's just like it's this it is now and I, I mean I feel like in the beginning even so like the Nikonis was so intuitive to me like it's super simple like you have full control but it makes sense where everything is on the camera and it's just so small and compact so like anytime you throw a housing in there I'm like oh, I don't know like you see those people like you were saying with Polaroids there's these guys I think their names like Ian and Eric Rainyard they they housed a large format uh Okay. I mean, okay. just, I, and it was a, it was a Polaroid. So, so they like it, or it was like some, I'm trying to remember what camera it was exactly. But basically like this box that looked like, I don't know, that it was probably just gigantic. And they would like have to load obviously everything. They swim down, they're shooting this, the most beautiful, beautiful images underwater, but just doing this all the time with a thing that probably, I don't know, weighed like 150 pounds. <laughs> Um, they got some like really amazing photos, like black and white with, um, sting, I think they're in the Bahamas and, or somewhere in the Caribbean and they have like stingrays and then models and they're, I mean, they're just, I'll send those to you Merlin. They're like some of my favorite that images ever, but I, people I, get I, crazy. <laughs> I, I saw that someone had made an underwater housing for an SX-70 Polaroid in like the seventies or eighties or something where you could take like an SX 70 underwater, but it was like, you're talking about, it had these weird knobs and stuff so that you could like do everything. And I like JP's comment here. He was like, Canada should have free Devon scan as part of universal healthcare. I, I agree. That would be nice. I would move to Canada if that was. <laughs> yeah. That's wild though. Well, so <laughs> what, uh, all right, I just totally brain farted on that. So you got into the, the Nikonos cameras basically because you just hated the big bulky yep. things. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, there's there's time and a space for for those things. Like, but it wasn't fun for me. <laughs> also, like I've I've like whacked myself in the face with just the Nikonos cameras, and that hurts enough. So hitting myself in the head with like an eighteen pound housing. I'd probably drown, be unconscious in the water flying around somewhere. That that sounds less than ideal. So you know, yeah. Yeah. What was what was the first film camera that that you started off with? The first. Okay, so I would have to say it would probably be my mom's AE one. Um, 
my dad gave her a Canon AE-1 for an anniversary two years before I was born. And um, that was the camera that like all of my childhood memories were shot on. Awesome. I still have the camera today. It still works great. It's never been CLA. <laughs> it has a battery from like 2000 in it and it still shoots perfect. I love that camera. Um, but I didn't really get into film shooting until like the last three and a half years. Uh, I shot mostly digital uh, like yeah. photography and, uh, and and stuff like that. And then I took a really long pause from photography and focused on being a grown up and having a career and shit like that. And then realized that was a mistake. And, um, I, when I moved to Toronto, um, I was having a lot of trouble adjusting to the city because it's a yeah. strange city. And uh, so I got back into photography and was doing a lot of like street photography and wandering around to try and connect with the city yeah and um then I kind of like gear at that time was so cheap on Kijiji which is like our um Craigslist okay and uh so I, I got suckered into this like, I started looking at like this gear and I was just like you know um I saw an interview that Jason Lee had done on Polaroids and then that like pulled me into like the Polaroid world and I was shooting yeah. Polaroid and then I was like holy shit Polaroid is expensive it's um, <laughs> It, it's it is crazy expensive um that that's my friend julian said that that's how we met i i met her at a a, a zine thing and i took a polaroid of her and gave it to her nice uh, it's kind of like one of my favorite things to do with polaroids now is um i just take portraits of people and give it to them and then i have I, one from you yes yeah, oftentimes i don't even see them um i just because it takes so long for them to develop i'm just like yeah. here you go have a polaroid I do sign it so that they, they know it's me. Um, but when I was like, Polaroids are so expensive, I started shooting 35 millimeter. Um, yeah. And then that was like a wicked rabbit hole where I went like 35 millimeter. And, oh, that's right. Sorry, um, Julianne's correcting me. That is how we met. I took a picture of one of her stickers because I used to love taking pictures of street graffiti uh, yeah. like and stickers and stuff in Kensington yeah. Market. Um, and she tracked me down through that. That's right. That is so funny. And then I bought a lot of her art. That's um, her art is all up on my wall over here. Um, she's a fantastic artist and uh, t-shirt maker. Uh, so if you want to, it's Christmas time. If you want to buy yeah. some for people, follow Foot to Face. That's uh, a good handle too. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so support locals, support individuals, support corporations. Yeah. Um, but yeah, photography has been like a really interesting thing for me, like getting into all the different things, but mostly the community. Like um, I have been really blown away by all of the people I've met in the film photography community and yeah. how kind and welcoming everyone has been. Like um, the the community I've spent the most time in has been like the, the Polaroid community. Mm -hmm. um, but then the film today like going there and you know getting the chance to meet you and like you know talk with phil and uh you know grant man that I know that. <laughs> he he's just one of the neatest people that i've had a chance like it was just so cool to to you know chill with grant and um you know take and like everyone um that was a really amazing adventure there um and then just you know even like this, this, you know, 
us talking right now has been an interesting thing because I would have never imagined doing like this sort of TV show kind of thing. And now it's like 15 episodes in and, you know, people keep tuning in and people keep agreeing to do it. And um, it's, it kind of blew my mind, like how many rad photographers I know in the world just from like, you know, going to a couple events and stuff. Yeah. So it's a, it's a good, yeah, I have, like you said, you make kind of friends in the, in these super cool, like circles within circles in the photo community and i mean yeah some of the people that i met like right at the beginning i'm still really good friends with which is so cool <laughs> yeah it is wild like um you know just to instagram is, has really blown my mind um because i think as, as far as like social media tools go um it's maybe like the purest one when you figure out how to use it yeah in like a in a good way mm -hmm. um it has like the least possibility for toxicity when when you start using it because it's like it's ultimately you curate what you want to see in it yeah. and once i figure out how to curate like the right thing for me it's just become this super power uh positive force for me to like meet great people and like you know do these cool collaborations and stuff and um you know if it wasn't for instagram i would never have had <laughs> To meet you in uh, in San Clemente, and then we wouldn't be doing this either. So, um, it's cool to have this uh, tool in the community, so that like we can you know, maintain that connection and share each other's work and appreciate each other's work. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I know people criticize it all the time, and obviously, there's going to be dark parts to whatever. But yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a pretty amazing connector of i mean for people but also it's like so much artwork and creativity that i would never stumble across any other way um so yeah but i definitely i agree with like the curating thing and it's yeah, i don't know you kind of go through and it's like what <laughs> what like how is this thing popped up how if it's not like something that's gonna make me think or make me yeah. happy or like further something good in some way why is that need to be there so i think that's yeah kind of important to to think about it that way it's like if something is popping up all the time and it's not making you feel good that you know <laughs> it's your prerogative you can you know make a decision well, not have that exactly there. like that that's the thing i've had a bunch of people be like oh why do you spend so much time on that like it's so awful like i've had bad experiences and it's like okay well but you made that happen yeah <laughs> that's yeah. kind of your own fault and i mean yeah. i I've, I've had a really long relationship with instagram like i've been on it since like i think eight months after it started and it, it's interesting yeah. um if you look back on my feed because i have like all of that Six thousand photos in it i tried to curate it once and i was just like fuck this it's too much <laughs> um but it'd be like an archaeological dig if you spend the time to scroll through yeah and it it's like almost five minutes of constant scrolling to get to the bottom of of my feed <laughs> but it's kind of like you could see like you know where i started with instagram and like all the photography yeah. stuff and you know it's been it's been a fun adventure like getting into the photography stuff but it's been a it's been a bummer not being able to travel because um, like through Instagram and through like the photography thing, like most of my best friends don't yeah. live in Toronto. They live all over the 
country and uh, yeah. I can't go see them now and I can't spend time with them, which is kind of a bummer. So um, the pandemic sort of made me realize how important local community is mm-hmm. and um, how as awesome as it is to have like a broad community, you know, it's probably not a bad idea to cultivate a good local community as well too. What is it, what is it like in Toronto? Like the, your kind of hub of photographer or photography? Um, so I've been pretty lucky to have met um, a few yeah, great photographers, I, I would call like good friends. Um, yeah. Have all sort of had like it all by accident, kind of like, you know, one guy, David, um, I was parking my car, another photographer friend who lives in Saskatchewan, I met her at the Jason Lee workshop that I went to in Boston a couple years ago, which is where like all of this started. If I hadn't have gone to that Jason Lee um, workshop, I would have never learned about like the Polaroid convention I started going to. And then that would have never sparked my like, you know, desire to travel for photography. Uh, But my friend Barb was visiting and we were going for uh, some food and I saw this dude with just this like chonky, big, I think it was like a massive Mamiya um, SLR medium uh, format. And I was like, hey, man, can I take your photo? Like, and he's like, only if I could take your photo. And so like, and then my friend Barb had a TLR with her. So it's like, we we're all like taking each other's photos. And uh, we all stayed in touch. And, you know, I spent a lot of time this summer doing distance photoed walks with him. And yeah. You know, it, there is a good community here, um, and I'm, I'm part of, like, a thing called Northern Film Collective, uh, which my friend Becca started. She's a fantastic uh, photographer, too. Um, shoots primarily film um, with a, with an old Canon T90, which is a cool, <laughs> badass camera. Um, but I've been helping her with um, the collective that she started, and uh, she's working on a book right now that hoping to release next month um, of all Canadian content from Canadian photographers from across the country. I think we had like over 60 people send submissions in for that. Um, So that was like, that was pretty cool um, to to be part of that and, and work on that. And then I've also been doing some like workshops and stuff on Polaroid uh, through one of the galleries here, um, which has been a lot of fun. Like it's sort of like an intro to Polaroid where talk about like the history of like how instant photography happened and like go through like a bit of the history of of Polaroid itself. Um, And uh, then we did a photo walk as well, which was a lot of fun. Polaroid um, helped a little bit. They, uh, sent me a couple cameras for people to use and some swag and um it was cool to get people hooked on polaroid and like one of the uh, guys uh here nas he was just uh complaining about how i've uh, created a monster that's chewing through his wallet <laughs> so, <laughs> that's just what film is <laughs> it, it it is what film is like someone asked me once how much i've spent on film photography like just in general, like cameras, film developing. And I started crunching it a little bit. And then I was like, I don't really want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what, yeah. People always ask me like, is that like, I have, I have a whole other job, but they like, ask me like, is this your, is this your, your main job? And I'm like, no, it, 
it barely pays for itself, maybe, <laughs> on a good... <laughs> well, so I'm curious about that on, on your feelings of it. So it's like, for me, um, I... I don't charge for anything really like for the workshops they paid me just because like that's the framework of like what they do but I was like I've done it for free um I I do like it mainly for me is just like a I guess passion project and like yeah. soul redemption kind of thing because like I, I work in tech and like I do okay with yeah. that um and I've, I've thought about like trying to monetize it a bit but then I get sort of like scared of the idea that like if I start doing that will it make it not fun and will I start to resent it at all yeah. and I'm curious, like do you ever feel similar things like because you have like a separate career and 100 percent, yeah um and I have like I've like toyed with the idea of like okay do I really want to like put the work in and like try and make this my main earner I really like my other job too so that's a good thing but yeah I mean it's it I, that is totally my fear as well is like if if I bring all of this pressure and stress into it then am I not gonna enjoy it anymore um I mean that like even like I so I mean I it pays for itself basically through like the prints that I sell but I I don't have like a store on my website because that idea of having that and like people ordering things without like me knowing what the specifications and all of that kind of stuff just makes me so stressed. So I make them like directly email me and then we chat about like what they want and the sizes and everything. And then like, okay, I will order it from the lab that I like <laughs> to do it. And then I'm going to get it shipped to me because I want to do quality control and make sure it's good. The then I will send it to you. So yeah. And um, which to most people probably they're like, that sounds way more stressful than like just having a button on your website. But to me, it, I don't know that it is like I like being involved in as much of the process as I can and it in it's cool to me because like I print I do like trying I know Jonathan Tanlis always says like you like don't let your your like photos just be pixels like or like scans like make sure you print everything and so I try and like I've been trying to to print stuff more um so it's but it's nice for things that I haven't printed if someone does want that one then I get to see it even for you know a few minutes and and on paper um before sending it off um in the world but yeah I totally feel <laughs> the like stress management don't want to bring all of that into your into the art thing I know it's say one question from Paul do I home develop I do not I have done some black and white developing in the past um same kind of thing with you Merlin like I did black and white is nice because it's really hard to mess it up I yeah. have never dabbled in color just it's I mean first of all I live in a tiny apartment in San Francisco right now and I've always lived in like these places where it's like I don't know if they would appreciate me like turning my my apartment or bathroom whatever into a um full dark room um but yeah some I would love to at some point in the future when I have the space and the time to to do that but it's it seems like a lot to take on right now uh, okay so I, and then someone do I do dark room printing I have again for black and white that's thanks to Brandon um because at the Nikonos project because he turned his whole garage into like, the most amazing dark room so some with him um what lab do I use so I still um 
I, when I was in San Diego, started working with North Coast Photo in Carlsbad. Um, and I still send things to them because I, I think they do a really amazing job. And also, if I mean, if anyone knows, I like to push my film a lot. Um, and a lot of labs either don't do that in, or the turnaround time is crazy. So I'm like, I know that they do a good job. I like <laughs> the work that they do. And so I, I basically now it's like I get a few rolls together, mail it down, and then they hang on to it for like a month or so at a time and then mail everything back up to me. Or if I go down there, I pick it up. Um, but yeah, they're, they're a good lab. I, people send, I think people send stuff to them from all over. So it's pretty cool. I, I, I have to throw an obligatory plug to, to my homie Brian there. But now that you're in San Francisco, you should, you should maybe try underdog one time. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard though. You know, Merlin, it's like you're, I'm definitely like a, a someone who gets like I'm like the person who goes to the, to the restaurant and they order one thing once and I'm like okay I'm gonna go to that and I'm gonna order it for the rest of my life because I know it's good and I don't want to be disappointed a creature of habit I I'm totally like that too it's like once I pick one even if it like doesn't make sense and it's like there's a way simpler option I'll be like yeah. no this one because this, this one is the option yeah there's there no other option just this <laughs> one yeah. Uh, Dale said, is there a reason you use the specific Nikonos that you use? I have the Nikonos 5 and I love it. Um, so we talked about this a little bit, but basically I had, I think I had like three or four fives and I drowned them all. Um, mostly because, okay, so what, like they're dive cameras, so they are really not supposed to be pummeled with um, in like shore break or big waves or anything. It, it like kind of gets a lot of sand up in all of the O-rings and stuff. Um, and yeah, so that's the main reason. Um, other than that, they're, I mean, they're all big cameras. I would say if you're looking at a Nikonos camera, do stay away from the four because I don't know anyone who's had one of those for more than like maybe a month or two. They just, they, I think the way that they kind of designed the body, I think the O-rings themselves are square, which is so weird. Like when you take O-rings out, it should be an O. Uh, and so they, it's easy when you're closing everything up for them to kind of get, it's not all the way sealed and it might look like it is. Let's see. Did you ever go George's camera in SD? Um, let me see. I've got my first one. Let's go ahead. And yeah, North Coast is pricey. That is true. Fil again, film is an expensive thing. Um, George's, I'm trying to think. There was, if this, um, let's see. I wonder if George's used to be in La Jolla. There was a place across the street from my apartment in La Jolla that was pretty much all underwater, but no, that was just cameras. I don't think I've ever been to George's. Might be down. You'll have to take a trip to George's sometime then. I know. I'm curious, yeah. have you ever tried shooting Cinestill underwater? Okay, so I have, and I actually <laughs> talked to them at the Paideia about this because I, it's such a beautiful film, yeah. but every time I have shot it in an Iconos camera, and there are people that somehow have figured it out, you, I get static. Um, you get with, static. Mm -hmm. And I, we, I talked to them because I like, talked to other people about it, and I was like, "Why do you think this is happening? Like, what?" Because when you, but so I think what it is is what we kind of figured out is 
obviously it's like you have this little camera that's like this like pressurized thing yeah. um, and it might so it might be either like they think it might be like the humidity change like from when you take it out it could also be like I don't know, because they were saying then also like the speed of the rewind, but I was like, I'm doing that by myself, so it's not going that fast. Um, or it could be like also maybe temperature, just because it's like going from really hot to really cold. But yeah, I have like a couple photos on Cinestill, I believe the 800, the tungsten one, I think is that one, um, that are beautiful. And the tone, I mean, it's amazing. It's a beautiful film, but I haven't figured it it out to get it like consistently um not have like crazy static which i know they have all these films now that you can they already have static in them and it looks really cool but to me i'm like i wouldn't that's not what i want so yeah lamography makes some interesting films that i've been playing with a bit more where i, I kind of avoided it because i was just like I don't want my pictures to be fucked up. I want to just like, you know, have like nice pictures. So like, why do people want these films that are like pre fucked up? Um, I like but them. <laughs> I, so I, I've kind of changed my opinion a little bit on that. And, and like one of the ones that I've really been loving lately is, is the Lamography Metropolis. Mm-hmm. It's a cool film. And I, I did a giveaway recently with, uh, with Lamography. They sent me up a couple of, uh, they're simple use cameras, which are like a reusable disposable. Yeah. Um, they sent three up to me and I did a photo walk with like, you know, a, a person, they could bring a guest and we just walked around Toronto and shot these cameras and it was a lot of fun. And um, I've been really digging these like different film stocks. Um, yeah. It's, it, I don't know. Like that's the one thing that I really love about shooting film is just all of the different film stocks that yeah. are play with and then playing with expired films like the weird janky results you get from that kind of stuff like um what would be your favorite like black and white and color stuff um i think ilford delta for black and white i mean that's like i have it just always has really worked for me and i like it you can't really go wrong it's hard to mess it up yeah Um, I would say that for black and white and then color is hard. Uh, I mean, for what I like reach for the most, I shoot portrait 160 and I push it a stop for like, and the pushing a stop started because I was usually shooting in low light. Um, and then I kind of just realized that I liked to like the little bit more, kind of more visible grain structure and, and, um, and then Again, ectochrome, if I'm going to, you know, get, pretend I am really rich, then ectochrome <laughs> is good. That, I mean, like, shooting ectochrome underwater when when it works is, uh, there is nothing like it. Um, like, the blues that you can get, especially, it's like, it's kind of one of those things where it's like a unicorn stock with, if you can use it in, like, unicorn conditions. Like, um, under... Yeah, underwater with clear visibility, like you can see for a really long time, or if you can see a good distance, like on that film, uh, is is just crazy. Like it, it, you, you can get like in San Diego water that looks like you're maybe in Hawaii or like. In- um, but yeah, so I think probably Portra though. If I'm gonna, I'm a Portra loyalist. I'm Portra snob I- probably. <laughs> 
I, I'd say I'm a portrait whore. <clears throat> I shoot so much portraits. That's like my main thing. But I do have to say the Lomography 400 has really swayed me a mm-hmm. little because I've been shooting oh. that back to back between the portrait and the Lomo 400. Yeah. And it's hard to tell the difference between them sometimes. Maybe but I'm going to have to try it. My wallet is so much happier with the Lomography. Because... <laughs> <clears throat> I think like with the discount I get from downtown camera, a roll of 36 Lomo 400 is like 10 bucks and a roll of Kodak Portra 400 is like 15, 16 bucks. So it's like, it's a good savings. Someone says we both similar rooms. (laughs) That's kind of fun. But this isn't even, I'm like in someone else's house in Jack's sister's old room. (laughs) But it is funny, yeah. We have some nice, a nice gallery walls behind yeah. us. Um, you have the art. Yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah. your art. I know. I want like close ups of all of the the prints and stuff you have. Those look really cool. I'll, I'll um, send you pictures of them. There, they're a lot of fun. This this yeah. one here is really cool. It's a, a poster for Policon for uh, last year. That was a lot cool. of fun. Yeah, I mean, nice. if the world ever opens up again and we're allowed to travel, um, you should definitely come out for a Policon. They're a lot of fun. It's not just for Polaroid people. Yeah, I love that. Everybody. They're, uh, they're a good time. I like JP here. Do they make an underwater housing for the 6-7? I don't know. They man. do. I don't think you'd sink. Yeah, you, they do. Um, I have seen a couple of them. I've always like kind of been like, maybe someday, uh, just because it would be pretty cool. There's like a few shots that I have in my mind that I'm like, God, if I could get that on medium format, like specifically kind of with the Pentax 6.7 on the 105 lens, that would be amazing. But it's like, God, yeah, it probably weighs like 50 pounds. And it's, yeah, you (laughs) they do the way that they're designed because they have a lot of air in them, which is what makes them so gigantic. Usually they are, somewhat either neutrally buoyant or they are you know a little bit buoyant but who knows with those things it could just sink like a rock <laughs> like does do sink 100 percent um yeah <laughs> uh, yeah i guess they they wouldn't be floating thing because they're all it's like metal right yeah it's like yeah it's metal all i mean the the older ones are all metal have you seen like the original one that they made the calypso no those are super cool. So that one was, it was designed by Jacques Cousteau. Oh, wow. uh, and they have like serial numbers. Like there's not very many of them. I think there might be like a thousand of them or something like that. And then Nikon basically bought the rights to it and made the the rest of them. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, they're, they're all cool little, little cameras, but yeah, they sink like rocks. <laughs> so is that like a unicorn camera for you to try and find a Calypso one day? Yeah. Brandon has one. Um, I've so I've seen his. Um, I mean, yeah, they're, they're just they don't look super different than the early edition Iconos cameras. Um, but it would just be kind of cool to have them. And what's funny is so the one, two, three, they all the fastest shutter speed is one is one five hundred. And then once you get to the ones that have um the meters and stuff then you have one one thousandth and the calypso i believe has one one thousandth so they kind of just did away with that which 
uh underwater you're kind of okay with unless you're shooting something super fast for but with surfing it's kind of nice to have a one one thousand sometimes yeah exactly yeah <laughs> paul's asking i think we've answered this a couple times paul but uh, she said portra 160 mm -hmm. and uh, ilford delta and, yeah um I would say my favorite black and white, if you ever get a chance to play with it sometime, is Eastman Double X. Oh, I have never. Okay. <laughs> It'll go. So it, it's a cinema film, and Cine yeah. still makes a version of it. It's called okay. like, Black and White Double X. Um, and Matt was my guest last week from Kodak. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I was bugging him, like, why does it look so good? And so he he found a potential answer for me, and it's kind of like a cross between Tri-X and T-Max interesting um, so it's like super like almost no grain that you see yeah. it. like crystal clear black and white so yeah. gorgeous. the contrast to it is so beautiful like some of my favorite black and white shots i've uh, i've shot have been with the, the double x yeah um, the frania p80 if you ever get a chance to play with that that's a really cool black and white film too um the 80 iso makes it um kind of challenging sometimes um <laughs> The double That's X is the chine. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, uh, on that, when it was, I think it was in August, we had that like kind of apocalypse day in, in the city when everything was orange. And I like, I had Jack asked me, he's like, do you want to go and like shoot in the water? And I was like, I basically realized I was like outside. I was like, there's no way that I can. Like, I don't have, I don't ever sh shoot shoot high speed film at all, so I don't have any of it ever. And I mean, it like the base, the kind of layer that was in the sky was so thick that I think I was like shooting. I I just shot some photos on like a Pentax K one thousand that I have, and I was shooting one sixty pushed maybe two stops and was still shooting like trying to shoot one eighth handheld oh, <laughs> and with a let with a uh 50 millimeter 1.2 like it was ridiculous i was like I, there's no way i can shoot anything in the water like yeah i don't that lens only stops down to uh four and i was like no i'm gonna have to like do bulb mode like trying to stay in the water. <laughs> yeah trying to stay still in the water i don't <laughs> imagine is an easy thing <laughs> wouldn't have gone well uh ryan favorite lens uh when i'm shooting topside i shoot mostly um the 80 millimeter just because uh, kind of everywhere i've lived i basically shoot um at beach breaks and so it's really hard to be in the exact spot that you need to be and so it, it's nicer to have a little bit of a longer lens and then underwater um there's a 15 millimeter lens which is it, it's like that lens is incomparable like they ha now people adapt that lens on to to be able to be used on a digital um camera like in a housing which is crazy to me like they spend this lens is maybe i've i think you can get it for like 250 to 300 dollars like if you find a good deal and they're spending thousands of dollars to adapt this lens but the, it's amazing i mean it's a it's an amazing lens um you have to say we're at the last like 30 seconds of yeah. the, the live so i just want to say thank you so much megan for 
I'm with me and thank you everyone for tuning in. I really appreciate it. It's great. That, um, you know, everyone's into this stuff. Um, next week, I have my friend Michaela from Calgary on. She does like some really cool visuals film and everything. And yeah, thank you again so much for your time, Megan. It was great. Thank you, Merlin. And thank you everyone for the questions. Talk to you right. soon. See you guys. Love you all. Bye. Okay. Have a great night. You too. Megan is the bomb. All right. Thanks, guys.